In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Today's readings have many things in common, but one thing they have in common is that they are all about angels. Not the angels that gaze beguilingly from a greeting card when we're going to try to find something nice to send to somebody, seraphically inviting us to joys unspecified. In this world, but not of it, half child, half human, half imp, half fairy, faintly etched or painted in aquarelle, in pale washes and delicate strokes. No real angels. Angels in the heights of glory, who no eye has seen, and angels in the depths, who seem when seen to be angels of light, which they most certainly are not. Angels that attend in the heavenly court, the God who made them, serving loyally, waiting to hear and to do God's will, whose mission is to take God's will to God's people so that they may desire it, pursue it, and to encourage them and protect them and strengthen them so they may do it. And angels that rebel, who fell to earth as the price of rebellion against the one who made them, whose mission is to subvert, to divert, to draw God's people by deceit into desiring that which God does not want for them, that which will be their undoing. Above, the archangel Michael, the archangel Gabriel, other archangels, and all the angels in their serried ranks, moving between heaven and earth to build up the kingdom of God. Below, Satan the accuser and his minions, cast down to earth, working there freely, invisibly at times, going up to heaven once and again just to make his presence known. All were made to serve, to serve in heaven and on earth, in the world, to serve in the church even, and those in heaven are doing just that. Those who are cast to earth are working to deceive, to take us in, then take us on by turning on us and turning us on one another, one against one and all against all, then all against one. And then a kind of peace such as this world gives, making us want what we don't need, drawing our desires from one another, the desires that should have been fixed on God, now cut free to settle on whatever the winds of this restless world toss our way. What someone else has that we want, that they have it and we don't, and that they won't want unless we want it too. Somewhere along the way, our envy gets in as well and gets out of hand. Think the serpent Satan, that first garden angel, drawing us to envy God, his power. What do we want? What does God want for us? His love, and that we would want that too, and the Father's blessing. But we can be talked into going for his power, out of fear, out of jealousy, out of distrust. Think of Cain and Abel. One gets it, one doesn't the blessing. Soon one is dead, the first murder. Two brothers want what only one gets. 
We go on from there and on. The Bible is a bloodbath, you will have noticed if you've read it recently. Yes, Satan stalks the earth, stirring up dissent, dissatisfaction, disrespect. Yet he does so, and does so still, with divine permission. Why? His day will come, though he may not know it. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. His day will come, but his day has not come yet. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Is that in the past for the disciples or in the future? Like all the readings today, past and future get somehow mingled together. It's the pattern that matters. But we do well to think of heaven more than we do. When our world gets too flat, we forget about God. We imagine, like those children of paradise in the garden, that we are alone and unobserved, and that we are in a safe place. That God checked out long ago, he checks in now and again if we pray, wake him up and tell him we need something down here, otherwise you can be sure he has no idea what's going on unless we direct his attention to it. And he's left us on our own, to own the world, to serve he would prefer. But cursed, and suddenly on the outside, the way is hard and the earth is barren, for us as for those first human beings. And a living must be scrubbed out with the sweat of the brow, and living beings must be birthed with hard labor, pain, and blood. An angel with a flaming sword guards the way back to Eden, keeping us out, though we try again and again to get back in. Satan watches as sin crouches at the door, waiting, attending, intending to do us in, suck us in and chew us up and spit us out as the world likes to do. Like lightning and unlike, Satan strikes us again and again at the same place, the place of our greatest weakness. We call this being under attack, something we may have read about once, and some of us may know what it means to be under attack. Spiritual warfare, we call it, and yet it exists, it goes on by divine permission. Satan roams about, he and his angels looking for opportunities. He can't read our thoughts, but he can observe our actions and interactions, hear our words, draw his own conclusion. He is very wise, and he draws us on and on by divine permission. He distracts, deceives, dissembles, and we see nothing, know nothing of his being there among us. And that's just the way he likes it. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you, Jesus says to his disciples. And yes, he has. But that doesn't stop Satan at all. When Satan will cast out Satan, 
when the power of the cross will reveal Satan's schemes, catch Satan like a hook in the mouth, then will this endless cycle of deceit, desire, envy, murder, the ritual scapegoating that brings us the only peace that the world can give, a peace that will not last and must be renewed again and again in blood, innocent blood. When the earthly, worldly ritual of us versus them is played out again and again and violence is brought in again and again to settle things, an innocent victim is choosing then and only then will Satan's work be done. Only when the innocent blood is shed of Christ, the victim seen in his innocence, the lamb doing what the lion could not, in his acquiescence, disarming the powers, in his weakness bringing their schemes to nothing, then only then is the battle won. That's the message of the cross. That's the message of the gospel. God's power is shown in weakness. But in the church and in the world, we'd rather have something better in hand if we could. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. <laughs> Hard words for anyone to let go of, and they do not. They follow in the pattern of all Jesus' disciples of not getting it and not getting it and not getting it again and again and again, right to the cross and right beyond. Whenever power is involved, then as now, we want it. As in the garden, we want God's power so we can feel safe and secure. We too come to see, however, that our names are written in heaven too. And maybe we will live in such a way that we will see that that is the greatest thing we've been given. But we have to learn to look for heaven again and to look to heaven. When we realize, as René Girard says in his book, I see Satan fall like lightning, that we have thrown in our lot first with those that persecuted Christ, just as has every Christian who has ever been converted. Because that's what conversion means, to realize that you have come from being one of those who persecuted the Lord of glory. You're not just a bystander. You've come from there to the other side, or you've come nowhere. You're not part of salvation at all. Girard says this, to become a Christian is to become aware of oneself as a persecutor of Christ. And one is always a persecutor of Christ insofar as one lives with one foot in the way of this world and one foot out of it. It's Good Friday every Sunday at All Souls, as you are learning. But every Good Friday, we rehearse that passion narrative again and again. And we, clergy and congregation, take the roles of the crowd and we shout, crucify him, crucify him. And that's the point at which Easter Sunday really begins, and not a moment before. The circle of those who wrote his name in blood on the cross, the circle defined by the prince of this world, we have one foot in each of those that binds us together in that mutual conspiracy, which is the world's way of thinking, that we settle things with the blood of victims.
We, like Peter, like Paul, Girard says, had first to come to this realization to be redeemed, to see for ourselves our faces in his face, looking down on us from the cross as we curse him, calling for his blood as he, the innocent victim, seeks to extend arms spike to the hard wood, not to do us harm, but to give us an embrace that can only be completed, not on earth, but in heaven, to say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Our names wait there in heaven already. In the meantime, for the time being, the battle goes on within us, around us, with us. Our texts have said all of the same. Well, what does it matter then that there are angels at all? What does it matter that there is a transcendent realm in which all is not well and right with the world? Another veil through which to peek and see that the struggle goes on, life is a battle. It's not enough that we all have to fight just to get through the day, get our families fed and clothed and schooled and ready for this world each day. Most of us will never meet an angel and know it. None of us will ever meet Satan, so I pray. <clears throat> there are times that I want to say, leave well enough alone. Leave Satan alone, and he'll leave us alone. Don't bother him, and he won't bother us. <laughs> and that's just the way he likes it. We need to remember what C.S. Lewis said. There are two problems that face us when we deal with angels. And you'll notice today we're dealing with one angel especially, and that's Satan. He is an angel. He's not a god. He faces Jesus not as an equal, though we are willing to put him there. He and the archangel Michael are equals in power. He's a created being, a creature who will have his end. And Lewis says we make two problems with Satan. For ourselves, one is that we don't pay any attention to him at all because we're beyond all that in our enlightened age. And the other is that we get absolutely obsessed with him and let him run the show by looking for spiritual battle everywhere we go. Of the two, the first is the worst. Why? Because we live in the enlightenment illusion that there is neutral ground. There's heaven, there's hell, and in the middle, the world is neutral ground. If we can think clearly, follow the inner instinct for goodness that we have, and work with charity, we can do the work and get on with it in relative peace, in relative security. And that's a lie. Satan rules here. He is the prince of this world. There is no neutral ground. You've got to serve somebody, as a hymnist said. We serve God willingly, or we serve Satan unknowingly. And so where do the angels come in who attend to our God who made us and them and tend to us even without our knowing it? They're around us, though we can't see them we don't know their number. We don't always hear their voice, though I suspect 
We do entertain angels every day without knowing it. They're there. The early church knew trouble. And all of today's texts were written at times of maximum persecution. The Daniel readings we've heard were written in the second century before B.C., long after the events they describe. When the persecution on Israel was about to reach its maximum in the Hellenistic, the Greek period, going out of Persia to Greece and then to Rome, they knew persecution. The Revelation reading is the last text of the New Testament that we have. Again, all those Christians who thought they would not live to see death, if I can put it that way, that they were going straight into the Father's arms have realized it's not going to be that easy. Satan is still around. They knew trouble. They knew fear. And these texts were written for them, to them, and by them. And they gave them hope. Not just hope for a better day that they might see in the world in which they lived, prayed, and hoped. Hope for a better day from beyond the horizon to which they gave. Hope for, from a better realm than that which they could see. I see this world today and each day a little differently too. I sense, no, I know how cosmic weather can bring storms and sunlight in sequence and in procession through our lives. Those spiritual battles that really rage around us in a realm we don't perceive rage within us too. And I know the importance of hope of hanging in and hanging on even when hope seems to be, to be gone and only endurance remains. This world of angels and devils is more my world now than it ever was. I can't say how, I can't say why, I can't say what earthly good at all it does to be heavenly minded when all we want is this earth renewed and shouldn't we be about it now? And shouldn't that be enough and leave the rest to God? But the answer to that is no. We're caught up in something much grander, much greater, much more terrifying and much more glorious than that. Yes, a battle, and yes, a victory that is greater than what we can ask or imagine. So we should leave it all to God. Leave it to God to help us attend and wait and listen and listen and listen until God has told us what God intends, what God asks from each of us as we wait for the signs of his glory to finally be seen for all creation, for him to come and put his throne back on this earth once again and let rebel angels go out of business. But we don't work with our heads down. We work with our eyes, the eyes of our soul, scanning the horizon for that angelic host who are cheering us on. One of my favorite texts is from the apostle when he says to his Corinthian community who gave him such misery, do you not know that you shall judge angels? You in all the mess you're making right here will be in a position that even 
faithful angels never will be, to choose each day to turn your lives and your souls and your hearts and your minds again and again to the God who made you, to sin and to seek forgiveness and to learn how to turn from sin a little better, a little more each day and how to share that with those you love and those you don't. We learn to attend and wait and then to do what God intends and trusting that whatever he asks we can do, he will provide the way to do it and that even angels may come, surround us, protect us, cheer us, and help us in our labors. Amen.